Happy Friday, everyone. This is Friday, April 24th, and this is episode 20 of our Google Hangouts and podcast on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of The Volpe Firm and Nimble This. Today for our show, we have a fantastic guest for us, uh, Ron Rannick. He's quite well known. He's an RF whisperer and technical lead at Cisco Systems. Uh, Ron, absolutely great to have you with us. Well, thanks, Brady. Nice to, to be here. Haven't been calling RF Whisperer before, but uh, um, I think that beats an old cable guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, you're you're very well known in the industry. Um, also, I know that uh, you're just coming back from, or you're you were in London uh, very recently, where you you received a uh, Tom the 2016 Tom Hall Award for services to the broadband uh, industry, and I, I want to c- congratulate you for that award. And uh, like it if uh, if possible, if you can just. Tell us a little bit about it and, uh, and uh, you know, give us background on that. Well, thanks for the kind words, Brady. Um, the, uh, the award is a, a pretty humbling recognition. Now, many operators in the U.S. may not be familiar with Tom Hall, uh, but he has been in the, uh, or had been in the cable industry for, for decades. He, he um, uh, was uh, involved very, very early on with the UKSCTE, and uh, back in the 1940s, the organization was called the Society of Relay Engineers, and in those days they uh, they provided radio station services via wired networks, and then of course later it, it transitioned into to video. And he was involved with the UKSCTE from the mid 1940s uh, until his passing uh, 2002, um, at uh, just shy of his 90th birthday, and very very well known uh, in the engineering community and uh, the European cable industry, and in particular in the the uh, UK cable industry. Um, I'm very fortunate that my wife and I became good friends with Tom and his wife uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s, so uh, it was truly an honor to <clears throat> receive an award that's named after Tom. So that's fantastic. Um, I, I'm, just, I'm just curious, does this mean you're going to have yet one more badge on your, at the SCT Expo for you know, your long list of badges? No, unfortunately not. The, uh, the UK SCT is a different organization from the... Uh, uh, the SCTE that most operators are familiar with here in the U.S. So no more ribbons for the badge for that one. Okay. Not that I'm. Now that that's good. It's just hard to keep up with you on that side. Um, John, I, I would like to uh, introduce our third guest, uh, John Downey. You're 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 our typical uh, stay at the podcast, but you you know don't call you late for dinner, but glad you're able to make it here. <laughs> I was out getting my new ribbons for Ron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, welcome. Um, so, uh, Ron, uh, you're we, going to be doing a, uh, a presentation today on really fundamental RF measurements, and I think this is really quite important for the industry, uh, primarily because we have, uh, you know, so, so RF is so important for DOCSIS communications, as, as we all discuss so frequently. If the physical layer is not working, then uh, DOCSIS is pretty much not going to be working. So this this presentation today that uh, Ron's going to be going through and we'll be discussing it during the presentation is kind of really focused on the basics of, of RF and, and how it works. Um, so Ron, I understand you have a hard stop at the top of the hour, so I'd like uh, to, to really start letting you go ahead and start with the presentation. So take it away, right. Ron. Thanks, Brady, and, uh, and welcome, John. I'm going to click... Uh, here and uh, we'll bring up a, a presentation that is called "What is Signal Level?" 
Um, this is an abbreviated version of a PowerPoint presentation um, that I put together several years ago and have, have uh, uh, used in a variety of, of venues over the years. The longer version gets into really the nuts and bolts of electricity and electronics and current and, and uh, uh, voltage power and, and whatnot. This is uh, a little bit less um, uh, detailed than that primarily because the other one takes about three hours to go through and this one um, takes a little bit less time. So let, let's start out with the obvious question um, and that is what is, is what is signal level? What is it that we measure when we're measuring signal level? Because I think most people who've worked in the industry for any length of time have probably measured signal level in a head end or you know the input or output of an amplifier or, or the input to a cable modem in, in a customer's house. But um, you know, how many people have actually won, stopped to wonder, well, what is it that's being measured? Well, the, the simplest explanation is that we're measuring the amplitude of the, of the signal or signals, but you know what does that mean? Let's let's take a peek at, at something many of us are familiar with, and that's an unmodulated RF signal or, or a CW carrier, which is an abbreviation for continuous wave. Um, that can be thought of as a, a, a high frequency, and in this case, I don't mean the uh, the three megahertz to thirty megahertz high frequency spectrum, but just a high frequency sinusoidal alternating current waveform, and and that's an an important point. Um, the uh, the frequency of that signal can be several kilohertz, several megahertz. It can be in the, the gigahertz or gigahertz, um, terahertz range. But the, the key point here is that it is an alternating current waveform. And we can express RF signal level in, in, a, in a whole bunch of different ways, um, in, in terms of voltage, in, in which case we use volts to describe the signal level. We can measure it um, in terms of current, uh, where we use amperes to, uh, to describe that level. Or we can measure it in, in terms of power. Um, where we use watts to uh, to describe the level or amplitude of the RF signal. I want to start with an example that that shows um, measuring signal level in a cable network um, using voltages. And you know, right away, people might think, "Well, hey, no problem," because we use this thing called dBmV or decibel millivolt, so we're we're already measuring voltages. And I'm going to step back from that even and and um, and look at a few examples. Let's. let's hey, can I, can I ask a question real quick? Sorry? Okay, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. You're, you're that, so I, sorry, so I have a, a question that always comes up, and, and Brady can attest. This is how I like interject on him all the time. <laughs> I always have questions that come up, and, and people that don't really know RF, the ins and outs, might say, and I know the answer to this, but I want you to say it, uh, what is the width of a CW carrier? Or why do you see... A CW carrier and a spectrum analyzer seem to have a certain amount of width. Let's hold that question for just a bit because <laughs> on a subsequent slide I've got a, a spectrum analyzer screenshot of a CW carrier and that's a perfect question that will go along with that. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's, let's take a look first at, at um, a variety of, of um, signal levels that might exist in a cable network but from the perspective of voltage. Now remember we're dealing with, with a sinusoidal based signal. Uh, it's an alternating current waveform. So we're going to use a metric called root mean square um, to describe the alternating current voltage. And we do that because RMS, or root mean square, is one of many ways to measure a sinusoidal waveform. The graphic at the bottom of the screen here shows um, what a sine wave would look like on, say, an oscilloscope in the time domain, where, where uh, in the vertical axis we have amplitude and in the horizontal axis we have time. And looking at this sine wave, we can um, express its amplitude um, in terms of a peak-to-peak -peak value 
uh, a peak value, an RMS or root mean square value, or uh, an average value, which I don't show on this particular slide, but these are all different ways to do this. But we use RMS because with alternating current waveforms, an RMS voltage uh, for that alternating current waveform will give us an equivalent value to um, what we would get if we were measuring the same DC voltage. Um, so that's, uh, that's a primary reason we use RMS here. But some typical levels that you might see from a voltage perspective in a cable network is, a, is uh, say, 100 millivolts per channel uh, at the output of a line extender, um, maybe a bit over 7 millivolts um, at the output of a tap spigot, Hey, John, are you moving furniture or something in there? <laughs> it sounds I, like. I, I think um, I thought I was muted. No, I, I think your headset isn't uh, isn't working, John. I think we're picking up the, the uh, computer. Your your computer is picking up all the background noise. I think he, I think he's just moving furniture or something. <laughs> <laughs> Rearranging furniture there in his office. Anyway, the input to a TV set or a, you know, cable modem or or set top box might be one millivolt. And uh, the input to a line extender in the outside plant, again, these are all per channel levels, might be 10 millivolts. Now you look at this and say, well, wait a minute, how, we don't measure RF levels this way, and, and that's right, we don't. It's kind of a cumbersome, clunky way to do it. So a better way to do it is, is um, to use the decibel. Now in this case, a signal level in millivolts can be expressed in decibels as a ratio of that signal level to one millivolt across a 75 ohm impedance, where one millivolt across 75 ohms is equal to a power of 13.3 nanowatts. Uh, we call this, as I mentioned earlier, dBMV or decibel millivolts. And, and here's another important point to keep in mind. dBMV is a unit of power expressed in terms of voltage. Now, most people think, well, wait a minute, I see this MV abbreviation tacked onto the dB part, and it, that means we're measuring voltage, right? Well, the decibel is a way to express power. And in this case, uh, or, or more specifically, the ratio of two power levels. In this case, we're measuring power, but in terms of voltage. And we'll see, we'll see more about this a little bit later on. Mathematically, then, um, dBMV is equal to, the, to 20 times the base 10 logarithm of whatever the value in millivolts is, divided by one millivolt. So if we um, take a look at an example of, of 10 millivolts RMS, and we convert that to dBMV, what's the, what's the answer? Well, dBMV, in this case, would then be equal to 20 times the base 10 logarithm of 10 millivolts divided by 1 millivolt. And as you work through the, uh, through the equation here, the answer we get is 20 dBMV for, uh, for 10 millivolts RMS in a 75 ohm impedance. So now if we apply that same math to the previous examples um, that I showed you, the, the per channel line extender output, instead of calling it 100 millivolts, we can call it 40 dBMV at the uh, per channel signal level at the uh, at a tap port spigot instead of a, a bit over 7 millivolts is now 17 dBMV. And the input to a cable ready TV or a cable modem or set top box instead of 1 millivolt is 0 dBMV and the input to a line extender on a per channel basis instead of calling it 10 millivolts is 20 dBMV. So, so Ron, I have a, a quick question for you. When, when we're talking about these voltages now of like 100 millivolts, these sound like incredibly small levels. I mean, I can buy a 9-volt battery, and that's, that's so much more voltage than 100 millivolts. So these signals that we're dealing with on the cable plant, they're, they seem so incredibly small. How, how do we understand yeah. it? You know, why are they so, so small? Well, when we're, when we're dealing with, with RF, um, 
or any any alternating current um, waveform, it can you know be any number of of signal levels in in terms of voltage. But the reality is the signal levels in our cable networks are quite small. Um, if the in order to transport signal levels at much much higher um, levels, let's say you know, nine volts or something, we would need humongous amplifiers that would be that would consume incredible amounts of of power from the uh, the electrical power company to even operate. So you can imagine, um, instead of uh, you know a, um, a, a few millivolts for a signal level on a channel, if if we were talking about something up in the the range of of uh, uh, of a volt, um, that's going to be a substantial amount of RF signal energy. Uh, you know, at that point, we're, we're talking signal levels that that would exceed the capability of our amplifiers, our passives. Uh, and indeed, the uh, the signal levels involved there could could even cause permanent physical damage to those components. And the reality is, if we go back to what it takes to produce a, a decent quality picture, uh, one millivolt for uh, an analog TV channel signal level is sufficient to produce a noise-free picture on a typical TV set. So there's no reason to uh, to carry much much higher signal levels than uh, than what we do. Great, thanks, Ron. Sure. Now, speaking of, of those signal levels, the uh, the examples I gave previously um, showed a an unmodulated carrier, you know, a continuous wave or CW carrier. Where things get really interesting is is um, when the carrier is modulated. So, what the heck happens when the carrier is amplitude modulated? And if the the example I showed earlier of a of a CW carrier, just a, a sinusoidal unmodulated signal, it was fairly easy to describe. Um, where to measure that signal, um, but when the uh, the envelope of the signal is changing because it has been modulated, where do we make the measurement? It's varying continuously over time, and it makes it much much more difficult to to actually uh, to measure that. So where the heck do we measure it? Well, a good place to start is with a metric called peak envelope power. Um, many of you may not be familiar with this term, but it has been around for a long, long, long time and applies very, very nicely to the way we um, measure signal levels in our cable networks. The peak envelope power is abbreviated um, PEP and by definition is the average power in watts during one cycle at the crest of the modulation envelope. And now, right away I've introduced some new terms that may, uh, may be a little bit confusing or certainly uh, not necessarily real familiar to a lot of people. Uh, but here again, we need to look at our sinusoidal alternating current waveform um, in the time domain, at least uh, to get a grasp on the concept that I'm trying to explain here. So if we uh, draw some red squiggly lines to represent the the envelope, that is the modulation envelope, in, in this case of an amplitude modulated uh, carrier, then we can see that the crest of the modulation envelope is, is at the peaks um, as shown on this graphic. And then, of course, uh, the, the varying envelope represents the modulation that's being conveyed um, by the signal. So what we want to do then is, is um, determine the average power of one cycle at the crest of that modulation envelope. And then I'll show you how we apply that to an analog TV channel's uh, visual carrier here in just a bit. So let's, uh, let's start with this um, by looking at another metric that uh, many of us are not necessarily familiar with, and that's peak envelope voltage. So in this case, um, it's kind of a, a bit of a, a subtle variation of the example I showed earlier, where we can express the amplitude of a of a sinusoidal 
waveform in the time domain in terms of peak-to-peak you know, -peak or peak or RMS or, or average um, values. In this case, we're looking at a, a peak envelope value or peak envelope voltage, which goes in this case from the the uh, the center of the uh, the waveform to the peak that is the the highest peak of that waveform. Now, for this example, let's assume that the peak envelope voltage is shown is is a bit over 14 millivolts, so 14.14 millivolts. What we do, <coughs> and pardon me, I'm just getting over the tail end of a cold. Um, what we do is plug it into this formula, and to determine peak envelope power, we take the peak envelope voltage, multiply it by 0.707, square that value, and then divide by resistance, which in this case is the impedance of the network, or 75 ohms. So if we plug in um, the 14.14 uh, the millivolts as a voltage, that's 0.01414 volt, multiply it by 0.707, Square the value, divide by 75 ohms, and what we get is 1.33 microwatt, which is a really, really low power. Um, but that's the average power during each cycle at the cross, crest of the modulation envelope. And as you, as you look at the uh, the graphic at the bottom of the slide, the uh, the sinusoidal waveform um, that I've highlighted in red represents the cycle that occurs. Um, during the crest of the modulation envelope. And, and in this case, the power of one cycle during the modulation crest is 1.33 microwatts. So you're, you're just looking for the highest portion of the sine wave. You're looking the, for the peak sine signal throughout this whole carrier. Is that, is that correct? That's right. And I'm going to show why that's important in just a moment when we, when we start looking at an analog TV channel um, visual carrier. Because there is a part um, of that um, that uh, that is that is a peak, and that's that's what we're interested in measuring, and, and we'll see how all this comes together here in in, uh, in just a moment. Now, much like using say voltage or amperes or or uh, or some other metric to uh, express amplitude in in uh, a signal of a of a signal in a cable network, you know, it would just um, be cumbersome as all get out to use peak envelope power. Uh, to express signal levels in a cable network. You know, can you imagine saying, well, the line extenders per channel input signal level is 0.00000133 watt peak envelope yeah. power. Well, we're not going to do that either. That's uh, that's just simply too, too, too clunky to deal with. Um, but recall that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, peak envelope power is the average power of one cycle during the crest of the modulation envelope. Now, in the case of an analog TV channel's visual carrier, the uh, the crest of the modulation envelope occurs during sync pulses, and then the, so the sync pulses represent the carrier's maximum power. And the interesting thing is, the amplitude of the sync pulses does not change, even as the the picture content varies over time. Right. If it's a black picture or a white picture, the sync is going to be the same, even though the the power changes right. quite a bit from a, a dark if, uh, to a white picture. What's kind of a fun little experiment, if, if you have a, um, a thermocouple type power meter, hook the thing up to the output of a, of a head-end modulator that just has one analog TV channel, and as the picture content varies, the average power of that RF signal will also vary. But what's not varying is the peak envelope power, which is the, the average power of one cycle during the modulation crest, which happens to be during 
um, the periods of time when the sync pulses are present. So that stays constant. That becomes our reference for a modulated analog um, TV channel, um, visual carrier signal level. So if we assume then um, our 75 ohm cable network impedance, that point zero 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 one three three watt is equal to 10 millivolts RMS or 20 dBmV, going back to the formula that I showed earlier. So here, and this is another key point to remember, 20 dBmV is the RMS value of the instantaneous sync peaks. It's a unit of power, which in this case is 0.00000133 watt uh, PEP expressed in terms of voltage. So this is where uh, the dBmV comes from and, and what the definition of, of dBmV is all about. Yeah, so you kind, of, you kind of lost me on that last uh, bullet point there, that plus 20, M, 20 dBmV is the RMS value. Because uh, isn't, isn't that going to change on, is that based on, on what reference? The is sync it, pulses. Yeah, but, but, but if, you're, if, if your plant is balanced at a different level, or is this, is, this has to be referenced to something, right? Well, it's always referenced to, to um, one millivolt um, across the 75 ohm impedance. That's what dBmV is. It's, it's always um, relative to one millivolt across a uh, 75 ohm impedance. And that one, that one millivolt um, is, uh, is, is, is 13.33 nanowatts. So that's our reference. Okay. Now this isn't saying that, that uh, the 20 dBmV is a, is a reference. Not at all. I'm just using 20 dBmV as an example in this particular instance. But okay. what we're saying is that it's the dBmV is a unit of power. Now in this case 20 dBmV happens to in the 75 ohm impedance happens to equal 0.00000133 watt PEP. But we're, we're using dBmV as a unit of power expressed in terms of voltage. Right. G going back to the previous point where it's 10 millivolts then it's 20 dBmV. I, I understand that now. That's right. That's right. So it's all, it's all related. Now let's uh, Let's take a look at an RF signal. This is uh, a screenshot from an oscilloscope. And in, in this case, I set a, um, a visual carrier from a modulator to 40 dBmV and, and plugged the, uh, the output of the modulator with the, the oral carrier disabled into a wideband with oscilloscope. It was properly terminated with 75 ohms on the input. And what that uh, oscilloscope lets us do is measure the amplitude of that unmodulated carrier, which is 100 millivolts RMS, or 40 dBmV. As soon as we apply modulation, in the case of NTSC, it's negative AM, negative amplitude modulation, the peak-to-peak uh, -peak value of the carrier does not change. That is when, when we reference the sync tips. So the, the amplitude of the sync tips is the same as the amplitude of the unmodulated carrier. So as the picture content gets brighter, the, the, uh, the average power of this carrier will, will decrease, but the peak envelope power remains the same. Because remember, the peak envelope power is the average power of one cycle during the modulation crest. Well, the, the modulation crest, which happens to, to uh, coincide with the sync pulses in, a, in an NTSC analog visual carrier, uh, that doesn't change. So in this case, the, uh, the amplitude during the sync pulses is 100 millivolts RMS or 40 dBmV. And when we use a signal level meter or some other instrument to measure the amplitude of a visual carrier on an analog TV channel, that's what we're measuring. We're measuring the amplitude of the sync pulses or the amplitude of the signal during the sync pulses. 
Okay, so the image on the left-hand side, that, that has no modulation <laughs> on it, so it's just like a sine wave at That's a, just a, a sine very wave high just, frequency. Right, it's just a sine wave, at, and I forget which, I think, I think this was channel 2 or channel 4, somewhere in there, it was in the low VHF range, um, plugged into an oscilloscope. Now, if we set the, uh, the horizontal scale on the uh, oscilloscope to a different value, then you'd see the, uh, the individual sinusoidal um, waveform component of that, but that's just an unmodulated sinusoidal signal on the left and on the right there it is with modulation applied and note that the the peak to peak value is is a you know, 282 and, and change millivolts peak to peak um, the RMS uh, the the peak value would be half of that so about 141 um, millivolts peak but what we're interested in is RMS because when talking about uh, alternating current waveform levels we express them in terms of an RMS voltage. And, and the same is true if you measure the, the voltage on a, on a wall outlet, AC wall outlet. Um, when we use a voltmeter to measure that, um, that we're, we're measuring the root mean square value of that, uh, that voltage coming out of the wall outlet, or around 117 to 120 volts. That is a root mean square value. Right. So peak voltage goes down, but RMS stays the same. That's, that's right. Well, here you can see, you can see it here. The it's the RMS voltage during sync pulses that's 100 millivolts. If you look at the modulated waveform during another um, another part of the signal when sync pulses aren't present, then the, the the RMS voltage would of course be less. But during the sync pulses, because they don't change, we make our measurement of the signal level because that's a constant that we can refer to all the time. So so because we do negative modulation. A darker picture would actually be higher power. Is that correct? That's that's right. And a uh, a wider picture or a brighter picture would be less power. I always found that interesting. Me and and, and Brady both worked at Secor Electronics, and way back in the day, we used to do distortion testing with the Dix Hills matrix. And basically, you're you were always did the testing with CW carriers. So we always knew that whatever performance we got with CW testing, we should get better performance when you actually have modulated carriers because they would be negative modulated. That's right. Um, the, the, and the reason is that the average power of that visual carrier decreases and varies with when modulation is present, but the peak envelope power remains fixed. Um, the neat thing about that is when it comes to um, characterizing distortion performance in a network with a, with a matrix generator or the, you know, the, what used to be called the Dix Hill generator, the, C, the CW carrier pr produces the worst case results, which is what you want to know. In an operating cable network with modulation applied, um, the, uh, the, you actually buy a little bit of, of uh, we'll call it visual or visible um, improvement um, because of that, that variation in the average power of the visual carrier. Cool. Thank you. Now let's go back to uh, to your question, John, earlier about the width of a CW carrier. Um, this is a CW carrier in the frequency domain uh, that is as viewed on a spectrum analyzer. So in this case, the vertical axis is is uh, is amplitude, and the horizontal axis is in frequency. Now in in uh, on an oscilloscope, this same signal in the time domain looks like the uh, screenshot on the right. And if we change the uh, the horizontal um, time adjustment on the oscilloscope, then we can see this. We can see that uh, that signal as a as a sine wave. But back to your question, John, about the width of a CW carrier. A CW carrier doesn't have any width, and that surprises a lot of people because they look at a spectrum analyzer and say, well, "Wait a minute, I see it right there. It's got width on the screen." 
That's true. Now there are a couple things that, that contribute to that. One of them is the um, the filters in the spectrum analyzer, the, the IF filters or resolution bandwidth filters. <coughs> the other thing is we can't generate a perfect CW carrier. There will always be um, some power supply components in it, you know, some hum, a little bit of hum in there uh, that, that will modulate that carrier slightly. It's probably pretty, pretty low, but that will be there. The, uh, the signal source itself is not a perfect signal source, so there's going to be a little bit of what we call residual FM. That is, the, the signal is going to be kind of jiggling back and forth a little bit, very, very slightly, hopefully, and generating, uh, you know, there'll be some variations in phase of that signal, too. So we'll see a little bit of width that way, but it tends to be pretty, pretty, pretty small. But by and large, what's seen on a spectrum analyzer, as far as what we would call the width of that CW or unmodulated carrier, is really mostly an artifact of the uh, the test equipment itself. It's a function of the uh, the filters that are used. If you change um, the resolution bandwidth setting to a wider value, such as uh, one megahertz or three megahertz, the carrier <coughs> will appear to get wider as you reduce the resolution bandwidth. Um, setting which which switches in a, a narrower bandwidth IF filter then the the apparent width of that CW carrier will also decrease so a lot of that's really related to uh, to um, the display artifact of the of the spectrum analyzer and then there'll still be some actual width to it in the spectrum because of, of some minor um, well imperfections in the the generation of that carrier does that answer the question John Def definitely I mean that's what I say it's like an optical illusion I mean, you're basically seeing the RBW filter response. That's it. So a typical default RBW would be uh, maybe, what, 300 kilohertz? So right there, yeah. you might assume the CW is 300 kilohertz wide, but it's really the filter scanning across the screen, and you're seeing the filter, the, the filter uh, response. Yeah, in this case, the RBW is set to 100 kilohertz, and if it were changed to 300 kilohertz, the width, would, the width of the CW carrier would, would increase on the, uh, on the display. Okay, now let's see what happens when we apply modulation. And in this case, the assumption is that, that uh, the oral carrier is disabled. So we see the visual carrier at the center of the screen, and then a bit to the right of that, we see the color subcarrier. And, um, and that's in the frequency domain. And in the time domain, it looks like the, uh, the oscilloscope screenshot on the right, which is um, the screenshot that was shown a little bit earlier. But these, these two are the same, uh, the same signal. Just one in the frequency domain on a spectrum analyzer, and the other in the time domain on an oscilloscope. So I, I've talked about um, the level of an analog TV channel as being the peak envelope power of its visual carrier, but we we use dBmV to uh, to state that in as you know that power in terms of voltage. And it's pretty straightforward when measuring the signal level of a of an analog um, TV channel's visual carrier, but Things get a little bit more interesting when we start measuring digital signals, which technically are analog signals. No, they're all digital, Ron. Analog RF <laughs> signals. The, uh, anyway, when we're measuring the level of an analog signal, we're not measuring its peak envelope power um, because there's both negative and positive modulation on uh, on a QAM signal. So we we measure we do measure the average power, uh, and that's called digital channel power or digital signal power. Uh, nice thing is that. That, that most field instruments used by um, technical staff in the cable industry um, support the ability to measure um, digital channel power of our of our QAM signals that we carry in our cable networks. And uh, typically, the way they do it is to measure the the level at several points across the bandwidth of that what we call the haystack, the QAM haystack, and then integrate those results to produce the average power of the entire 
haystack over the occupied bandwidth. Um, you know, another way you could do it is to use a thermal coupled power meter. As long as you had just one QAM signal coming out of a, of a QAM modulator, uh, hook that up to a, um, a thermal coupled power meter and it would measure the average power of the QAM haystack. And, and um, the answer uh, that that produces would be very would be very close to uh, the answer produced by uh, uh, today's test equipment, um, which makes it uh, makes it very very convenient because when uh, digital signals first started being deployed on cable networks, uh, the instruments that were in use didn't support measurement of the uh, signal level of a QAM signal because it's noise like it was really difficult to accurately measure, and a lot of people weren't familiar with how to use a spectrum analyzer to properly set that signal level. <coughs> Excuse me. So here's a, a QAM signal in the frequency domain, and here we can see it's a display of amplitude in the vertical axis and frequency in the horizontal axis. And th in this case, it's a six megahertz wide QAM signal. It's called a uh, single carrier QAM signal, or SC QAM. That terminology has been adopted since the introduction of DOCSIS 3.1, which uh, brought us or is bringing us OFDM, orthogonal frequency division multiplexing. So to differentiate between an OFDM signal and our, our legacy QAM signals, we, we call these legacy QAM signals SC-QAM, or single carrier QAM. Here's what one looks like uh, on an oscilloscope. I, I would suspect that most people have never looked at a QAM signal in the time domain, but um, this is what it looks like. And to produce this, I, I took the output of a CMTS configured for single channel operation, plugged it into a uh, a high bandwidth oscilloscope properly terminated in 75 ohms and then tweaked the uh, uh, the time to time per division setting which affects what's displayed in the horizontal axis and here you can see um, a uh, sinusoidal waveform that is varying uh, in both amplitude and phase which is what a QAM signal does so this uh, this is a really good example of uh, of a QAM signal uh, in the frequency domain on the left and in the time domain on the right yeah, Ron, that is actually a really good capture that you have of a of a QAM signal converted into the time domain. So, you know, if anyone, a lot of our listeners catch this on on iTunes or listen to these on on audio only podcasts, I'd highly recommend if if you know, I, I tell so many people the QAM channels are made up of sine sinusoidal signals with different amplitudes and different phases. Uh, and when I draw this or, or try to do it on PowerPoint, it never looks as good as, as this illustration that Ron has in his PowerPoint slide right now because it's captured with a high-speed oscilloscope. So I, I would highly recommend anyone who's interested in really seeing what a QAM, a 64 QAM signal looks like in a time domain. This, this really illustrates that it's not a digital signal. It's truly an analog signal uh, yep. with, with different amplitude sine waves, different amplitude voltages, and changing phases. It, it's just so complex looking, but this this really truly shows you that it is it, indeed an analog signal. Yes, and there it is. All right, um, now let's take a look at, at a spectrum analyzer screenshot that shows both uh, what hey, we call Ron, analog can you hear me okay? and QAM signals. Uh, John, did you can have you a question? Go, can you yeah, can you go back a slide? And then you and I have had this, this discussion with someone else recently about the carrier frequency for a qualm. Is it there? Is it not there? Where is it? Well, let's let's define um, what a qualm signal is. It is a double sideband suppressed carrier RF signal. Um, what that means is if you if you look on a spectrum analyzer display like you see on the left, you don't see a a carrier per se sticking up. This is uh, there, there is a, a suppressed carrier in the center of the channel 
but it's it's you know 40 50 dB down uh, basically down at the noise floor because in the uh, and the modulation process, the carrier is suppressed, and all that's left are the the upper and lower sideband information. Of course, it's filtered to give us this this shape in the uh, the frequency domain. But um, we can define a QAM signal in a number of ways. Some cable operators like to call uh, a QAM signal um, by its CEA channel number. Now, we used to call it EIA channels, but the reality is the EIA channel plan hasn't existed for over a decade or more, probably 15 years in the but it is the CEA channel plan, and I think that that name just changed recently too, um, and I can't remember what the even the newest one is. But we we'll call it the CEA channel plan. So we'll call it a CEA channel number, like uh, you know channel 118 or channel channel 108 or something. Another way it can be described is is by center frequency, which happens to be where the suppressed carrier is. Uh, for example, for channel two, the uh, center of, of channel two is 57 megahertz, so we might call that QAM signal. Well, that's 57 megahertz, and that's fine. So we can call that QAM signal either channel 2, or we can call it 57 megahertz, in that case referencing the center of the channel and also the frequency of the suppressed carrier. Okay, now here's a spectrum analyzer screenshot that shows uh, both analog TV channels and QAM signals in the uh, in the same display, and this, is, this was something I snapped in, a, in an operating cable network. Uh, just took a Took a spectrum analyzer, connected it to the subscriber, drop and tune to a part of the spectrum where, where both uh, the NTSC analog channels were present and uh, the QAM channels were also present. Now, the uh, there's an interesting point that I want to make here too, and this is this is especially important because uh, it's it's fairly easy to get this wrong. And when cable operators carry a QAM signal, typically the average power of the QAM signal is is set several dB below the peak envelope power of the visual carrier. Um, for 256 QAM, the the channel power is typically set five or six dB below the amplitude of the visual carrier or the peak envelope power of the visual carrier, and 64 QAM typically set 10 dB down. But as you look at this spectrum analyzer screenshot, it looks like the the top of the QAM haystacks is you know, 14, 15 dB below the level of the um, the visual carriers. Well, that's misleading because uh, and I like John's use of the of the of the uh, the term optical illusion because that's kind of what we're seeing here. The height of the displayed noise floor and the height of the QAM haystacks will vary as the spectrum analyzer's resolution bandwidth control is changed, and that's because the QAM signals and of course the noise floor are noise-like signals. So as we change the the resolution bandwidth on the spectrum analyzer, the apparent height of those haystacks will change even though the actual power is, is fixed. In this particular example, the QAM haystacks actually are set 6 dB below the amplitude of the visual carriers. Um, now in this case, the resolution bandwidth is um, 300 kilohertz, so um, they, they appear to be 13 or 14 dB lower, maybe 15 dB lower. Um, than the uh, the amplitude of the visual carriers, but in fact they're 6 dB down. If we change, if we could change the resolution bandwidth to 6 megahertz, you know, which of course doesn't exist on the spectrum analyzer, this particular one I think peaked out at 3 megahertz. But if we were able to increase the resolution bandwidth to 6 megahertz, then the QAM haystacks would in fact show up as 6 dB lower in amplitude than the uh, um, 
amplitude of the visual carriers. The visual carriers and oral carriers on the analog TV channels would not change. Those, those amplitudes would stay the same as the resolution bandwidth change, but noise and noise-like signals will change in amplitude on the display when, uh, when uh, the RBW is, is tweaked. So we have to keep that in mind. Um, now certainly one can apply all kinds of correction factors, but it's just a lot easier to use modern test equipment that, that has a digital channel power function in the instrument. Um, does that measurement for you and all you have to do is measure the visual carrier, measure the digital channel power of the qualm signal and then, then set it to be uh, 6 dB down or ensure that it is 6 dB down from uh, the visual carrier levels. Alright, so let's wrap the, uh, the formal part of this up and then we can, we can have some open-ended discussion here. Um, signal level is the amplitude of a signal but in particular the RF power of that signal. The, uh, the signal level in a cable network is expressed in dBmV, that's decibel millivolts, not dB. And I know it, I've, I'm guilty of this, and I think most of us are, of, of uh, referring to signal level in dB, and that's technically wrong. Uh, we can use dB to express gain, loss, attenuation, return loss, structural return loss, isolation, carrier-to-noise ratio, signal-to-noise ratio, MER or modulation error ratio. Um, but when it comes to signal level, it's dBmV, and remember, dBmV is a unit of power expressed in terms of voltage. So when we measure um, the signal level of an analog TV channel's visual carrier, we are measuring its peak envelope power. And when we measure the power or signal level of a qualm signal, we are measuring its average power. And, and those are also a couple important takeaways from, uh, from today's presentation. Uh, so digital channel power or, or digital signal power for, uh, for our qualm signals. Okay, that's, um, that's that particular presentation. Any questions? No, that was, that was really some, some great uh, material you should cover there, Ron. Very nice. Um, is, this, is this one showing up okay, Brady? Yeah. yeah okay, th this is another, uh, uh, another screenshot of... Uh, of the amplitude, or sorry, the frequency and time domain of a of a qualm signal. This this is a uh, a 64 qualm signal on the right, and um, on the oscilloscope display on the right, you can see where the uh, time per division settings for the horizontal axis has been changed, so that you can really see the sinusoidal um, component of that qualm signal. But note the uh, the variations in amplitude, and particularly in the center of the screen, you can see the phase shift right there. It's a very very obvious phase change. Uh, there's also one over toward the right edge of the screen, and, and um, if you could visualize this on a constellation display, um, the the uh, the portion of the sinusoidal waveform on the left, as an example, might might represent a couple symbols in in the uh, upper right quadrant of a constellation display, and then that phase shift we see in the center of the screen would would be not quite 180 degrees, but it would basically go to the opposite quadrant. Um, you know, down in the lower part of the of the constellation display, um, to represent a couple different um, uh, symbol points on the on the display. But the 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 key here, and and Brady made this point earlier, uh, the the qualm signals are analog signals, and and you can see it very very clearly here that uh, it's a, a, an analog sinusoidal signal whose amplitude and phase varies to represent those uh, what we call symbols or or groups of ones and zeros. Yeah, no, that's excellent to show that because, you know, sometimes it's it's important to have people really understand that when we send qualm signals, the, the fact that they are analog signals means that they're super, they're super uh, 
prone to be impacted by any type of RF impairments we have in a plant. And, and that's why, you know, the higher the order modulation qualm, going from 64 qualm to 256 qualm, those RF amplitude variations that you're showing, the change in phase, there, there's going to be more of those. And then those become more suspect to impairments from RF. That's, that's why we have bit errors, code word error, uncorrectable code word errors, MER goes down, and, and it's still an an, inherently an analog signal that we're transmitting. That's right. That's right. Um, well, hopefully this uh, this presentation has shed a little bit of light on some of the fundamentals of of, uh, of the RF signals in our cable networks. It's it's kind of a fun subject because you know most of us take for granted the idea of of measuring RF signal levels. So, all right. Well, I'll never really stop to think what is it that we're measuring, and uh, hopefully this has communicated the uh, the point uh, or points that that when we measure signal level, we're measuring power. We're measuring the RF power of those signals, and, and for, for analog TV channels, typically when we talk about signal level, it's almost always uh, referring to the signal level of the visual carrier. Now, certainly it can you know, refer to the oral carrier, but more often than not, we're talking about the visual carrier, and that's the peak envelope power. And then for our qualm signals, um, we're measuring the average power or the digital channel power of that signal. But uh, you know, we're, we're measuring analog RF signals here. And uh, I have fun with this at SCTE and other seminars where... I'll ask uh, I'll ask people in the audience uh, how many of you are carrying digital signals on your networks? Because you know, everybody raises their hand. I say, well, no, you're not. You're not carrying digital signals on your network. You're carrying analog RF signals on your network. Those uh, those analog RF signals may represent digital data, but they're actually analog RF signals. Semantics. <laughs> semantics. That's right. Yeah, so semantic I, kind of guy. Yeah. I have it's another e example. What about optics? Like optical level measurements, uh, reference to uh, micro watt, right? So we use the term dB mu instead of dB mu mu w. <laughs> well, well, optics are it, it, that's dBm, right? Yeah, it's dBm. It's yeah, okay. decibel milliwatt. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, we're still measuring power, and I like to tell people that well, look, when we when we think about light, it's just really, 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 really high frequency RF. And then, of course, another perspective might be that RF is just really, 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 really low-frequency light. <laughs> and, and both definitions are actually correct. And, uh, you know, when we measure um, optical power in a, in a piece of fiber, we're measuring power, uh, much like I just described. It's, it's the, uh, the average power. And, and we could certainly express it in, you know, in some flavor of watts. But uh, there, too, like trying to express signal levels in a cable TV network in voltage or you know, amperes or, or even... Uh, watts from a peak envelope power perspective, it's much easier to use the decibel. So in optical transmission, we use uh, we do use the decibel, but instead of dBmV, it's just dBm, which is decibel milliwatts. And in this case, zero dBm equals uh, one milliwatt. And, and the other thing I found interesting would be if, for instance, I have a one milliwatt laser for the upstream, and you have 50% OMI, optical modulation index, that laser's intensity is changing, even though you can't see it because of the wavelength. But what would you actually read with a power meter, an optical power meter? Would you read one milliwatt, or would you read 1.5 and and 0.5? Um, good question. I don't I don't know what the uh, the optical power meters do if they're if they're just if they're just you know if they're, they're I know they're, it's it's an average which should take into account those variations over time. Um, that's one of the neat things. So as the signal level uh, or the instantaneous power varies 
over time, uh, and that's one reason why we use average power for characterizing RF power most of the time. Now, certainly there are exceptions, you know, peak power, burst power, and you know, radar and whatnot. But in in most cases, we like to use average power to uh, to characterize the power in a circuit or or uh, you know, transmission line or whatever, because the instantaneous power is changing continuously over time. And you know, where do you where do you measure um, that continuously variable? Um, uh, or varying power, so you measure the average power, which kind of smooths out those changes. Um, so, so um, I don't know. I've, I haven't played with an optical power meter in years, so that might be a fun little exercise. So, so, so what I what I've found in my own testing over the years also would be, if I go to a fiber node and I check uh, optical power, and I see optical power coming in, that doesn't prove that that is being modulated because it is reading the average anyway. So you could have your head end modulators turned off, but your optics are still on. So you go to the node and you're like, all right, optics is fine because I have power. But it doesn't mean the RF is being modulated. That's right. It'd be, it'd be the equivalent of measuring a CW carrier. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know you have energy. It's just, there's just no modulation on it. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Okay, Ron. Well, you have ten more minutes before your next presentation, so. Well, I need to, and I need to drop to get ready for that because yeah. I'm doing a, um, a training, another training seminar here in well now about nine minutes, so I need to drop and get ready for that. But um, Brady, I want to thank you for inviting me to participate in in today's hangout session. This has been a lot of fun. These these are fun, and hopefully the information that's been uh, that's been shared is uh, is something that folks will find useful. Um, if uh, people would like a copy of the PowerPoint slides that I used today, they're public domain kind of slides. So I'll be glad to send a copy out. I did make a couple of minor tweaks to the uh, the slide deck I used today. Um, that's uh, got a couple changes that aren't in the in the versions that you guys have got. But I'll be glad to make this available to anybody who's interested. Okay. Well, Ron, fantastic material. It's great having you. We'd love to have you back sometime, maybe for a, an RF part two. John, great having you again. Um, so, guys. It was a wrap. Have a great weekend, and you all take care. So, bye bye. All right. All right. Thanks all. Get your taxes done. <laughs> Tax day. <laughs> They're done. Bye bye. <laughs>